Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. As uh, Lloyd said, we are coming to the close of this Ruth series. This is Ruth part four. Pastor Lloyd did chapters one and two a few weeks ago. Last week I did chapter three. Who was here last week? Raise your hand real high. We laughed a lot. We talked about sex a little bit. It was a great Sunday. But I want to set your expectations. Yeah, that's good, right? I want to set your expectations rightly, though, because this Sunday is not going to be that kind of message. What we're going to be talking about is is a lot heavier uh, this week. I uh, am finishing up seminary right now. I have one more class that I'm doing a week from now. It's a two-week class. I'm so excited to be done. For the last four years, I have been pumping my brain filled with Greek and Hebrew and apologetics and church history and mission and all these things. And I really am grateful for that education because I feel like I know more now than I did when I started, which is a blessing. But I'm also struck by the fact that when things go wrong in my life, I still ask myself the same question that I did before I started seminary, the same question that everyone I know who didn't go to seminary asked themselves. Whether you're a Christian or not, you've probably asked yourself this question, which is, God, why? Why is this happening to me? Why are you doing this to me? What did I do to deserve this? Did I do something wrong? And I can give you the seminary answer. I can explain to you how there can be a good God in the world or in heaven and there can be suffering in the world and those things can go together. And I can even explain to you that the suffering in the world might even be evidence that there's a good God. But when it's my suffering, when it's my pain, then I say this, God, why? And if you're here today and you have a pulse You either are saying this right now in some area of your life or you have said it before or you're going to say it in the future. You said, God, why? After all my years of trying to raise my children to follow you, why are my kids not walking with God? What did I do wrong? Why is this happening? You said, God, why is my marriage the way it is? Why are we just getting by? If we're both Christians and we're both supposed to be following God, why isn't it something that brings life to both of us? Or maybe you say, God, why is my spouse not a Christian? Or why is my spouse not on the same level spiritually as I am? I know you love my spouse and I love them, so why can't we just both be on this team together? Or God, why am I still single? All I want is someone who can come alongside me and we can follow you together and we can walk with you together and you just have not provided that person. What am I doing wrong? Or God, why is my job just so draining? Why is it just a daily grind? Or why can't I find a job? I want to have work that is meaningful and that makes a difference in the world and I think you want that for me but I can't, I can't find a job or my job is just so difficult or my boss just treats me like garbage or whatever it is. You might say, God, why am I dealing with this kind of inner emotional stuff, depression? God, I'm going to counseling. I've tried every kind of medication, and I still don't feel any better. Or God, why is it that I find myself attracted to the same sex when I know that's not something that you want for me? Why do I find myself attracted that way anyways? God, why are you putting me through this? God, where is this anxiety coming from? And then for some of you, it's, it's, it's really heavy stuff. It's why did you take that person so young? Why did the car have to go through the intersection at that exact moment? 
Why did the call come in the middle of the night? Why did the diagnosis come back like that? Why did the cancer come back like that? God, why, why, why? And for some of you, it's not something really big. It's, it's just a series of little things, or it's the fact that you had this level of expectation for your life, and your life has come out here, and you're going, God, why is this just not going as I expected? And for all of us, for me and for you, when that happens, when we start asking why God, our default reaction is that we start pushing God away. Whether you say, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore, or you just say, I'm just not inclined, I'm not motivated to pray, I don't wanna go to church, I don't wanna read the Bible, and we start holding God at arm's length. So what do we do? What do we do with this question? Because we're all either facing it right now or we're going to face it sometime soon. And that's why I love this scripture because it doesn't give us just simple pat answers. Like everything happens for a reason. Some of you have heard that before in church. You've heard that from Christians people and you have railed against it because you're like, that doesn't help me. And that's not what the Bible teaches. I mean, it does in a way, but it doesn't just give you simple answers like that that you're just supposed to accept. A lot of times it gives us what we're going to look at today, which is a story of a woman who dealt with this question in a big way. And her pain at least rivals whatever you're going through today. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the story of Naomi and the pain that she faced and what God did in her life and what she did with that question and what we can learn from it. So turn actually back to chapter one really quick because we're going to... We're going to start back at the beginning. It's easy to forget that everything we've heard over these last three weeks that Naomi has done has all been in the context of so much pain and so much wondering why things are going the way they are. So we're just going to hit a few highlights as we go through the book and retrace this story. Don't worry, it's not going to be a three-hour sermon going back over everything through Ruth. Chapter 1, verse 1. This is how it all began. This whole story that we've been doing the last four weeks. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife, that's Naomi, and two sons, Malon and Kilion, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now we hear that and it's easy to go, oh yeah, I know what that's like. You know, we had to relocate to Madison for my spouse's job because there was a better job here. Or we say, yeah, I know what that's like. We, we moved to get my kids in a better school district. This is not the kind of move that this was. This was a famine in the land, meaning everyone around them is on the brink of starvation. Can you imagine if our whole country went into such a bad economic downturn that people everywhere in the country were on the verge of starvation? This starts out with going, God, why? Why couldn't you have sent rain? Why couldn't you have allowed the crops to grow? Why is everyone I know and everyone I love going through such a difficult time right now to the point that they leave. And this isn't like they moved to Chicago. This is like they moved to another country. This would be like moving to Mexico or something. Totally different culture. Far, far from everyone they love. And you can picture Naomi in that going, God, I don't know why you're doing this. I don't know why we have to leave. I don't know why everything is going wrong with everyone we love. But God, at least I have my family. At least I have my husband. At least I have my children. And then God takes that away too. Verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. 
Now she's going, God, what was the point? Couldn't you have warned us that we didn't even have to leave? My husband was going to die anyways. Now I'm a single mom in a strange land with two sons that I have to take care of. And then there's a lull, and she thinks, well, maybe things are going to get better because her, her sons get married. And you know if you're a parent that that moment when your kids get married, it, it is a beautiful moment. Here's what happens. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And then 10 years go by, and you can picture the, the pain that was so acute before is maybe starting to dull, and she still doesn't have an answer why. She still doesn't know the purpose, but she's going, okay, well, maybe things have stabilized, and I'm glad that my sons have found happiness, and maybe we can build a life in this land. And then it all falls apart again. Same verse, verse 4. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi, Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Can you imagine trying to make meaning out of this? We left everyone we love to try to hold our family together and now our family has completely fallen apart and my husband is dead and my sons are dead and now I'm living in this strange land. God, why? That's what's going on in your head. And God is silent. Silent, not a word from him. And then this happens. When they, then she hears that, that her homeland, the famine is over. And you can just hear, this isn't her voice, but you can just hear the, the bitter feeling that would have risen up in her when she finds this out. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. The Lord provided aid for them. Ten years too late for her. So what does she do? Well, she says, all right, I guess we'll just go home. And so she and Ruth and Orpah, her daughters-in-law, start returning home. And then something happened on the way home that the scripture does not tell us how it happened, but something impossible happened on the way home. Something so difficult for us to do that in the midst of her pain, Naomi said, I'm not just going to suffer, I'm going to suffer faithfully. And without knowing why, Naomi asks, Who? Without knowing why any of this is happening, without knowing why God did any of this, she says, who can I serve? Whose pain can I alleviate in the midst of my own pain? Who can I minister to even though I feel so disconnected and far from God and like God doesn't even care? What can I do to make a difference, make a difference in the world? And she looks to her left and to her right and she sees Ruth and Orpah and she says, I can't do this to them. And this is what she says. She says, then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, this is verse 8. Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. 
He goes, I can't make you come with me. Even though you are the only two people in the world that are still close to me and that I still care about, you have a better chance at happiness in your homeland. You have a better chance of finding a husband. You have a better chance of stability. And so she sends them back. She says, I'm not just going to suffer. I'm going to be faithful in my suffering. And they cling to her and they weep and they cry. And Orpah decides to go back to Moab and Ruth decides to come with her. Now because Naomi has been able to make this change to where she's not just thinking about her own pain, but she's thinking about the good of other people. This is where you'd hope God would step in and say, Naomi, it's okay, there was a reason. There's good things that are gonna come from this. Because you've been faithful, I'm gonna show you what the point is. But no, God doesn't do that. Look what happens, look down to verse 20. Here's what happens, they get back into town and people go, Naomi, what happened to you? And she says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, she told them. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. No answer to the question. No answer to knowing why God had done any of this. No relief. Verse 21, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. Still no resolution, still no answer, still no relief, and still Naomi chooses that same path for the rest of the story. She says, even though I'm gonna suffer, without knowing why, I'm gonna suffer faithfully. And without knowing why, Naomi asks who? Again, who can I serve? Who can I love? Whose pain can I alleviate? And then she looks to Ruth and she goes, I can make a difference in Ruth's life. Even though I don't know what God is doing in my life, I can make a difference in Ruth's life. And that's what we saw last week in chapter three. Remember how it started? She comes up with this plan. She says to Ruth, one day, Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. And then she comes up with this crazy plan where she sends Ruth into this guy's room in the middle of the night and, and Ruth proposes to him. And Naomi knows just the way to make it work and it works. And then Ruth finds a husband through that in Boaz and they get married. And it was all because Naomi decided to be faithful in her pain. And this is another point where you go, okay, is this where God shows her? Is this where God makes it clear? Is this where God says, hey, Naomi, it was all worth it. And because you've been so faithful in your pain, I'm going to show you what's going on behind the scenes. Well, here's how the story ends. Go to chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz and Ruth get married. And the verse says, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. So the story does end with Naomi getting a grandson, which, mean that, which would mean that the line of her and Elimelech would continue. And that would have been a big thing in that culture. And everyone around her sees this as Naomi's moment of redemption. Like, this is what made all the suffering worth it. Look at verse 14. 
The women, the people around Naomi, the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Guardian redeemer referring, referring to the baby. Not that Naomi is going to marry the baby the way Ruth married Boaz, but meaning that this baby is going to be Naomi's redemption. And they explain just what they mean. In verse 15, the women say this, he, the guardian redeemer, the baby, will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. And then look at this, look at this line next, verse 15. For your daughter-in-law, Ruth, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Seven sons? Now look, I'm sure that Naomi did feel some joy seeing her grandchild, but the text doesn't show us exactly what she felt. It doesn't, show, it doesn't show us her reacting to this. It just shows everyone else's reaction. And if I was Naomi, I'd be thinking, where's Elimelech? Where's my husband? He was supposed to be here to see this grandchild. Where's Malon? Where's Kilion? It should have been one of their sons that we were looking at. God, I still don't know what the point is. I still don't know why it all had to go this way. I still don't know the meaning behind it. But we don't know. We don't know what Naomi felt. It does not show us. It just shows us her being the same person that she has been all throughout the story now, and that without knowing why, without knowing the point, without knowing why any of this has happened, Naomi asks who? She says, who can I care for during this time of pain? Who can I care for when everything is going wrong? And that's how her story ends, verse 16, with her caring for this child. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The last recorded act of Naomi's life is that she was holding this baby in her arms, caring for him and rocking him. And then, sooner or later, Naomi died. And she never knew why. She never knew the purpose. And if I was there giving her funeral, I would have said, God dealt Naomi a bad hand. And Naomi was faithful every step of the way. And it never made much of a difference in the world. And I would be dead wrong. Because look what they named the child. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David, as in King David. In the ancestry line of Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, the savior of the human race. And every single one of you in this room today who has placed your faith in Jesus Christ has this woman in her old age rocking the baby, caring for this baby. We have her to thank because she decided to be faithful in her pain. And as she was holding that baby and rocking him to sleep, she was kicking down the doors of hell and she never ever knew it. You see what I'm saying? Here's the point. Your faithfulness and your pain will do more than you will ever know. 
It is especially in the moments of pain when you can be decide when you can decide to be faithful that the kingdom of God goes forward like you would never believe. It was true for Joseph, it was true for Abraham, it was true for David, it was true for our savior Jesus Christ who went to the cross with this same question coming out of his mouth, God, why? And it was in that moment that Satan was defeated in the midst of that suffering because Jesus decided to be faithful in his suffering. And the apostle Paul says the same thing. He considers all his suffering light and momentary compared to the weight of glory that's going to outweigh all the suffering that he had to go to. And it all comes down to being faithful in the midst of your pain. Look, I know that some of you, it took all the strength you had to muster to get up out of bed and come to church this morning. And there is a season where that is what faithfulness looks like. And all you need to be able to do is just to put one foot in front of the other. But sooner or later, you have to decide if you are going to look up from your own pain and look outside of your own pain and look to what God has called you to do. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. Is that we decide whether or not our pain is going to have any meaning. And you decide whether or not your pain is going to have any meaning. I've seen so many people that I cannot tell them God is going to do anything good through their pain because in their pain, they walk away from God. And they say, I don't want to have anything to do with God. I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. I don't want to have anything to do with church. And I'm going to walk away. And if I come to them and say, I don't know what to tell you. Your pain may very well mean nothing. But if you can choose in the midst of your suffering to say, I'm going to be faithful to the call of God in my life. I'm going to run towards God. I'm going to rely on on him. I'm never going to walk away from him. And in my pain, I'm going to find a who. I'm going to find someone to care about. I'm going to find someone to reach out to outside of my pain. You can be confident that this is true for you, that your faithfulness in that pain will do more than you will ever, ever, ever know. God, God in his sovereignty has deemed it right in his love and in his mercy that we will not always know why we suffer. That's just reality. Sometimes he may make it clear to you. He may tell you why, but many times he will never ever tell you why you are suffering this side of heaven. And when you get to heaven, you will know and you will see. But in the meantime, we either suffer or we suffer faithfully. I want to tell you a story about a guy who lived like this. And this is a story where at the end you do get to see the redemption in it, which is not always the case in our lifetime, but it's an incredible story. The guy named Ted and he, uh, he was going to be a doctor and he became a Christian in his early twenties. And he chose to not pursue medicine, but per, to pursue ministry. And he decided to become a worship pastor. And I got to tell you, every time I get a paycheck, I am so grateful because there's not that many things I'm good at. So I'm like, God, I can't believe I get paid to do this. But this was a guy who had options, right? He could have made a lot more money, but he chose to follow this 
this path of ministry instead. And ministry is not always the thing that you're called to do, but that was the thing God called him to do and he was faithful in it. And then everything started going great for him. He started writing songs and the songs were getting played in other churches. He started leading worship for conferences. He started raising up other worship leaders, doing all sorts of things. The most fruitful ministry, everything you would hope God would do through you as a, as a young guy doing ministry. But then his life kind of took a turn and he felt God was calling him to this, this small church that wasn't even able to pay him a full salary. And I don't know how he knew God told him to go there, but he was convinced that God was supposed to, that he was supposed to go there. So he goes there and he's working at Barnes and Noble and he's leading worship and he's just kind of waiting. Like when are things going to get better? When, when am I going to get back into this place of real fruitfulness and real influence for the kingdom of God? But then each church just takes him further away from that unhealthy churches and churches with bad things going on and he's hitting, he's approaching 40 and he finds himself leading in this other really small church, a little church plant that's actually partnered with a mega church, which is kind of a weird situation and nothing I'm about to say has anything bad to, I'm not meaning to say anything bad about mega churches or the way things or the way they do things at all, but this is just the way his story went. So he's leading worship at this little church and there's coaches from the mega church that are coming and they're saying, hey, we really think you would be better in a background role, kind of overseeing the ministry and hire in you know, more talented people or maybe younger people. I don't know if they really said that or not, but there was some question of like, is that really what this is about? Just hire in people and bring people in. You just go in the background. Now. It's hard to understand what that feels like if you're not an artist, but I mean, he's approaching 40, getting kicked out of his own worship band at a really small church. Like this is a, this is a why God moment. He's going, God, you were using me for all these things. I was accomplishing so much. There was so much fruit and it was all for you. And now you've taken me to this place where I feel like my hands are tied and there's nothing I can do. And I don't, this, what am I supposed to be doing in this situation? But then in that moment, just like Naomi, Ted said, if I'm going to suffer, I'm going to suffer faithfully. And without knowing why, he said, who? And so he, he follows the coach's advice and he hires in a band and he hires in worship leaders. And because the values of this church were that they just really wanted people who were really talented, it didn't really matter whether the people they brought in were necessarily walking with God, especially for the band members. So he hires in this band of just like guys who are all over the place spiritually. And, and God says, I want you to invest in this one guy who's like 23. And he's, he's just there to, for the paycheck because they're, they're paying these people. And he's not really walking with God, grew up in church, walked away from God, just trying to be famous, just doing it for the paycheck. And God says, Ted, I want you to invest in this guy. So Ted goes, okay. I'll do it. Even though I feel like everything is going wrong, even though I feel like I can't see the big picture, even though I feel like, what's the point of me doing this? He just starts pouring into this guy. Time, way too much time, listening to all his issues, trying to keep him on the path, teaching him about God, what it looks like to really walk with God. And some good stuff starts to happen. And uh, he, he really does get this guy on the path. And obviously, you know, that's kind of a nice little ending for the moment. And I'm sure... Ted is going, okay, I'm glad this happened, but he still doesn't have an answer. He still doesn't know why it had to happen this way. And I don't know exactly why it happened that way, but here's what I can tell you. I am eternally grateful for Ted being willing to be faithful in his suffering, because that was me six years ago at that church. I was that guy who came in not walking with God, 
not caring, just trying to make it as a musician, and Ted, in the midst of feeling like God had completely abandoned him in his ministry, just poured into me. And that's the reason I'm on this stage talking to you today, is because someone decided to be faithful in their sufferings and faithful in their pain, and in the, without knowing why, asked God, who can I pour into? So what does this have to do with all of you? This is what I would challenge you with. This is what I would challenge you to think about. Regardless of what is going on, regardless of your pain, is this. While you ask God why, ask God who. You've got to keep asking God why. You can't hold back that question from God. He wants to bring that he wants you to bring that to him. Even if there's something sinful in there that you're doubting God or you're you're thinking things of God that are not true of him. He still wants you to bring that to him. He doesn't want you to break that connection. But while you ask him why, ask him who. Who is the person that I can pour into? Who is the person I can invest in? And some of you are thinking, well, I'm not really mature enough in my, mature enough in my faith to be able to take some random kid and like turn him up to the guy who's on stage preaching, you know what I'm saying? And, and I get that. Although some of you have more to offer in terms of raising people up and teaching people to follow God than you realize. You just haven't tried it. But you have been walking with God for a long time, many of you, and you've never tried to really invest in someone. And that could be something that God could totally use you for. And he will give you everything you need to be able to do it. But for some of you, it might be, your who might be supporting someone who's already doing ministry, or already doing something that you believe in and you want to help. And like I said, there is a season where you may just have to deal with your grieving, but sooner or later, you have to ask God who. So as you're waiting to have kids, and you're going, God, why won't you give us kids? Why won't you give us kids? Why won't you give us kids? Don't just keep your eyes focused on that pain. Lift up your eyes from that pain and say, God, where is something that we can, where is somewhere we can invest as a couple? Who is someone that we can minister to? Who is someone that we can care for? When your kids aren't walking with God, maybe that who is your kid. Maybe you got to try to invest in them, but maybe your kid doesn't want anything to do with you. You still have someone that you could pour into. Maybe it's somebody else's kid. Maybe it's some ministry, whatever it is. There's somewhere that you can pour in and invest. In the midst of depression, yeah, you've got to deal with that depression, and yeah, you want to bring all the emotion, those emotions to God, but if you are waiting for your depression to end before you decide to serve God, you might be waiting for the rest of your life. That's not what faithfulness looks like for the long haul. In the midst of your marriage falling apart, you're who? That might be your spouse. That you are called to go after your spouse and to try and rebuild that relationship, but maybe the marriage is completely over. If you're already divorced, God is not done with you. He still has things that he wants you to do. He still has things that he wants you to accomplish. There is never a point where you are in so much pain that God says, okay, I can't use this person anymore. Because all throughout scripture and all throughout history, he has used people who are in pain to do his work. So what's your answer to this question? I want you to talk about it after you leave here. I want you to talk about it at lunch and talk about it when you get home and talk about it on the car on the way home and write it down in your journal. Write down some names. Write down some people or some organizations that you might be called to bless or serve even while you are in pain, even while you ask God why. So there might be something you are called to do. That's what Naomi did.
That's what Ted did. That's what we are called to do as believers in Jesus Christ. Look around the room real quick. I know this feels awkward, but just glance around. Glance around. Make some awkward eye contact. Listen to me. There will not come a day when this room is not filled with people who are in pain and people who are suffering because we will always have all normal suffering that everyone has in our culture, but then we also have the added suffering that comes from choosing to follow Jesus. This room will always be filled with people who are suffering, and if we want to make any impact for the kingdom, we have to learn how to be people who can be faithful in our suffering. Remember this title we've been talking about? All, all four weeks, this has been on the screen. Tragedy and triumph in the providence of God. The missing ingredient here is human faithfulness because that is what God uses in his providence to turn tragedy into triumph. Tragedy into triumph. Tragedy into triumph. It is through human faithfulness within the providence of God. Look, show me a man who can be faithful in his suffering and and I will show you an unstoppable man, an unstoppable force of good and force of change for the kingdom of God. Show me a woman who can be faithful in her suffering, and I will show you an unstoppable woman, an unstoppable force of good for the kingdom of God. Show me a church who can be faithful in their suffering, and I will show you a church that is an unstoppable church, an unstoppable force of good for the kingdom of God. And we'll turn tragedy into triumph all day, all day long. Tragedy into triumph, tragedy into triumph, over and over and over again. And we might not see all of it, this side of heaven, but we will see some of it if we can get there as a community. Some of you, some of you, it's like, I look at you or we look at you and it's like, why haven't they just like dove in? Why haven't they just gone all in for whatever God's plan is for their life? And for some of you, it's because there is a low grade fever of pain that you've never dealt with, that you're just trying to always block out and tune down. And look, your time to serve God is now. Your time to go all in is now. And God may answer that question why in the process, he may not, but either way, here's what we know for sure, that our faithfulness together in our pain will do more for the kingdom of God than we will ever know this side of heaven. Can we pray for us? Lord, you are a good and gracious and loving Father. God, we believe that even when we can't see it. Even when we don't see the evidence, God, we, we believe that because you say it is true in your word and because you demonstrated it to us once and for all in the cross of Jesus Christ. And God, we come to you with our pain. We bring you our pain. We don't focus on it. We lift up our eyes and we bring it to you and we say, God, I don't know why you're doing this, but I'm submitting it all to you. And I'm asking God that you will use me in my pain however you want to use me. And God, we acknowledge that oftentimes that is the only place we find relief from our pain. 
That the only time we finally find relief from it is when we realize life is not about us and our pain, but it's about the people that you have called us to love and to serve. And God, I thank you that there are people in this room that who, when they choose to do this, when they choose to focus on others, when they choose to love others, that they will finally find relief from whatever that pain is. And God, we worship you now. And we thank you for your presence here with us. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Let's stand up. We're going to sing this song. Just a declaration to God that he is glorious, that he is worthy of praise no matter what is going on. So let's sing it to him loud.